I'm going to dive in. I have quite a bit. It's one of those, anger is one of those subject matters that you just feel like, I mean, good and wiser men than I'll ever be have written entire books on it. I commend them to you. David Pallison has one, Good and Angry. Lou Priolo has The Heart of Anger. That's for children. Then he has another one that says Keeping Your Cool. That's more geared towards teens. But I highly recommend it. I read it for my own heart for sure. Um, Jay Adams has one. The name's escaping me. If, if you need it later, text me and I'll, I'll get it for you. But just good, wise men have written volumes and volumes. Um, but we're just going to work through it. So this is going to kind of be an overview, but I hope it's helpful to you. Um, and again, a little bit painful because anger is one of those things where you just really feel like you're right. You have a right to be angry. I know I struggle like that. I think, oh, this isn't really anger. I'm just right, and they need to listen to me. So, but it's after going through this week and studying more and just going, wow, I've got a lot of more work to do. So very thankful that I was able to hash through it more, but now um, sharing with you, and then we will work together to help each other excel still more in this. So number one on your outlines, let's talk about what is anger. We're just going to dive right in. This is going to be another one of those where we're going to do several different passages just to kind of get a broad view of scripture and what it says, and then at the end when we're talking more about righteous anger and and what that all means and how we can apply that we'll park it at one particular passage. So throughout the way, I'll be telling you, turn here, turn here. So get your fingers ready. Um, But first, it might be helpful for us to think through, A, on your outlines, the world's definition. Because the world is going to define anger and how to handle anger very differently. They might have methods that are, on a practical level, semi-helpful, but their worldview is going to be very, very different than what our worldview is going to be as we're beginning to look at anger. But it can sound right. It can feel kind of right. So I am going to read to you the world's definition of anger, and then also what they say. I just clipped it right from an article of this is how you should deal with anger. Here's some methods to deal with anger. As I'm reading it, I want you to be thinking. So make sure you drink that coffee, get those neurons firing, because I want you to, as I'm working through it, some things, again, might be helpful as a method, but listen to how they're presenting it and how they're getting at the core issue. And then we'll work through, I'm sure you see on your outlines, I'm like, problem one, problem two. There's more than two problems. We just only have time for two. So, and they get at the core of it. So it's like, problem one, problem two. Okay, moving on. Okay, so the world's definition. So one definition I pulled said, it's a strong feeling of annoyance, displeasure, or hostility. It's important to note that anger can be a normal, universal human emotion. There may be many instances and events in life that can cause someone to be angry. Hmm. Learning how to cope if you struggle with rage can be difficult, but there are ways you can learn to manage your anger. So this is the world's definition of how we manage our anger. So it says how to deal with anger. The first thing to know about learning to manage anger issues is anger isn't actually a bad emotion, is what they say. There's nothing wrong with feeling rage or frustration, but what does matter is how you deal with your anger and how you express it. So they're saying, you know, we don't want to call it bad. It's just how you deal with it that's bad. Here are our tips for the best way to control your anger. So number one, recognize the warning signs. Now, I would agree with some of their warning signs. It is an alarm bell going off of, ooh, what's going on in the heart. If you can recognize, this is what they say, if you can recognize when you're starting to feel angry, you'll be in a good place to try some of our tips before you can really get worked up or lash out. 
you can then try a few of the strategies below. So, warning signs, pounding heart, gritting your teeth, sweating, tight chest, shaking, feeling anxious, raising your voice, being snappy or defensive, temporarily losing your sense of humor, pacing, getting a flash of a bad mood, being overly critical of someone, or feeling argumentative. If you're feeling argumentative, please see last time's uh, lesson that we were together. Acknowledging, so going back to what they're saying, acknowledging that you feel angry and identifying the emotions you're feeling can sometimes help to reduce the intensity. Saying, I'm angry right now, or I'm feeling frustrated and annoyed can be the first step in understanding and resolving your feelings of anger. So they say, work out why you're angry. There's lots of reasons why you might be angry. It's a normal or understandable response in some situations, such as when you or someone else is being treated unfairly. If you're not sure why you've just snapped at someone, though, think back through your day and try to pinpoint what set you off. Some other reasons why you may be feeling angry include you're under a lot of pressure, you're experiencing bodily or hormonal changes that can cause mood swings, you're frustrated with how your life is going. If you work on first recognizing and then dealing with your anger, it won't have such a damaging effect on your relationships, body, mind, and emotions. They say, try writing it down. Sometimes writing down stuff can help you work out why you're feeling angry and how you might be able to deal with it. They even say, try drafting a letter to someone to explore what you think might, is, might be making you angry, how you're responding to the situation, and how you want to address your feelings. So basically, vent on paper. Or they say, count to 100. This one seems pretty basic, but it works really well for anger management. Thinking about something other than what's making you upset for 100 seconds can help you avoid blowing a fuse. It gives you a chance to gather yourself and your thoughts before you do anything else. Number five, press pause. When you feel angry about something, it's almost impossible to deal with the situation in a productive or helpful way. If you feel yourself losing your cool, just walk away from the situation for a while. You'll deal with it better when everyone, yourself included, is feeling calmer. Another method, move your body. Exercise is just an awesome way to let off steam. You could take a walk around the block, go for a run, or do something really high energy like boxing. So basically, vent your anger in a physical way. Or you could talk to someone. Talking to someone you trust about how you're feeling can take a weight off your shoulders as well as your mind. That could be a trusted friend or a family member. Or just take time to relax. If you know what helps you re to relax, you'll find it really useful whenever you're feeling angry. Take some time out to do something you enjoy. It could be going for a walk in the park, reading a book, trying some meditation, listening to music. Now, ladies, again, everything they're saying is not wrong. It's their beginning premise so what is problem number one? Take a guess. These methods do not deal with our sinful heart or nature. They're pretty much wrapped up in each other. You are correct. Does any of this deal with the heart of the matter? Stuart Scott says the heart of the problem is a problem of the heart. So each of these methods are co coping or e avoiding techniques, but it does not deal directly with an angry heart. It just pacifies the angry heart until the next time it's angry. Ecclesiastes 7, 9 says, Do not be eager in your heart to be angry, for anger resides in the bosom of fools. So this isn't avoid, avoid eye contact. I'm going to go do something that makes me happy or makes me feel better. They're not getting to the fundamental part of that problem. And again, their beginning worldview is wrong because they don't believe that man's a sinner. So herein lies a huge problem. 
Problem number two, the solutions are centered around self. Good job, you guys. All those solutions completely surrendered around yourself. Each one are what makes me feel better. There's a complete self-focus and self-justification. Did you catch? It was constantly, well, it's not really your fault that you're angry. It's your circumstances' fault. Or pesky hormones. It's those hormones' fault. Or your life situation's fault. There is not ownership of the sin of anger. Each of those methods to control your anger is just to protect self. But what does Romans 6 say? Go ahead and open up in your Bibles. I want you guys looking at this one. Romans chapter 6. We're just going to read this on our cruise through scripture. But this one is super vital if we are going to get a hold of our anger and understand rightly our heart. Where is this coming from? How do we deal with it? How do we view it? We have to get this one right. So Romans 6, 6 through 7 says, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is free from sin. What a drastic difference from everything we just read from the world's definition. It's we are crucified with Christ. No longer are we slaves to sin. And sometimes when we are really battling it out with our anger, does it not feel like you are trapped? You're a slave. You just, it's just right there, crouching at the door, ready to pounce. And you hate it. I hate my anger. And yet, there it is all the time. And it's just wrapped around self. David Paulison. So much of what I'm going to read, I'm deeply indebted to David Paulison, Lou Priolo, Jay Adams. So you're going to be hearing lots from these gentlemen who are far wiser than me. So I wanted to bring in what they said. But he said, if I believe, this is David Paulison, if I believe that God exists to give me what I want, I will burn when he doesn't deliver. In fact, When considered from the standpoint of what motivates the human heart, all sinful anger has immediate reference to God. If I curse the heat and humidity of the day, I assail God in three ways. First, I forsake him, the fountain of life, acting as if he did not exist. Second, I act as if I were God instead elevating my will for comfort to the supreme status in my universe. Third, I grumble against him, implicitly criticizing the real author of, quote-unquote, bad weather for displeasing me. Wow. And another wow. John Owen, in the mortification of sin, mortifying means to kill. He asks, do you mortify? Do you kill? Do you make it your daily work? Be always at it whilst you live. Cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. So just some strong words for us to say, okay, we are definitely needing to fix our thoughts. Society, the world around us is always pressing always wooing us. No, no, no. Love yourself. Protect yourself. Guard yourself. You need to really just love on yourself and that will make the anger better. And it's no, it's also stripping away our hope, you guys. When we protect self, that strips our hope in the gospel that we have. So we need to be killing sin and self or it will be killing us. So we don't want the world to define anger or how we deal with how we deal with anger. So we need be helpful definitions. 
And usually I don't have them on your notes, but today I thought it would be helpful to go ahead and put them in there. So, of course, we run to our friend Noah Webster, and he is going to help us think of it. it. It is fascinating to me the root of anger, the root word, the etymology of it means to strangle. So almost like you get choked up on your own words because you're just so angry. You just, uh, mm. that's what it says. It's to press, to strangle. So that's kind of the root of that word. But Noah defines it as a violent passion of the mind, excited, not excited like yay, but excited as in stirred up by a real or supposed injury. Injury's blank there usually accompanied with a propensity to take revenge or to obtain satisfaction from the offending party. This is going to be important later. This passion, however, varies in degrees of violence and in noble minds may be attended only with a desire to reprove or chide the offender. So even beyond that, he also says, anger is also excited by an injury offered to a relation or a friend or to a party to which one is attached. And some degrees of it may be excited, again, stirred up by cruelty, injustice, or oppression offered to those whom maybe you have no immediate connection or even to the community of which one is a member. Nor is it unusual to see something of this passion roused up by gross absurdities, that means people being ridiculous, not using their common sense, in others, especially in controversy or discussion. So those, those strong emotions are stirred up by um, others and other, you know, things around us. Bridges, so Jerry Bridges says, anger is defined as a strong feeling of displeasure and usually of antagonism. He would add that it's often accompanied by sinful emotions, words and actions hurtful to those who are the objects of anger. And then Stuart Scott has a very helpful pamphlet. It's called Anger, Anxiety, and Fear. And he ties those three together. It's also an excerpt out of his book, The Exemplary Husband. But he said in there, there are two kinds of anger mentioned in the Bible, righteous anger and unrighteous anger. Righteous anger is indignation for holy reasons. This kind of anger is consumed with the desire for righteousness or with God's will, reputation, and honor. Unrighteous anger takes two basic forms. One is explosive and reactionary and involves venting one's feelings. What does that sound like? The other kind of anger is more of an inward, slow burn. So a lot of times when you see the word wrath in the scripture, it's more that first kind. Not always, because God's wrath, we'll talk about in a minute, is very righteous. But the other kind is more, when it says anger, a lot of times the Hebrew behind it is more that inward, slow, burning, seething anger. So those helpful definitions will kind of clear up some things as we discuss. Number two, righteous anger versus sinful anger. Righteous anger versus sinful anger. So you might be thinking, okay, Rach, how can God's anger be righteous? I know it is. That's A on your outlines. How can God's anger be righteous? Because our sin nature is so closely connected that we really have a hard time wrapping our mind around the possibility of being angry and not sinning, as Paul warns us. So it's hard for us to think of God as wrathful and still completely righteous and loving, David Pallison really helped me clear this up in my own mind as we're thinking through it, as we're thinking of the Lord. You know, if we are to be imitators of God and if we are to be holy as God is holy, then we need to know, okay, how is his anger righteously displayed and executed? So David Pallison says, who is the angriest person in the Bible? God is. Over and over again, it'll say his anger, the anger of the Lord burned. 
The anger of the Lord burns, sometimes towards Israel, sometimes towards Israel's enemies, sometimes towards sinful man. But over and over again, when God looks at evil, it says his anger does not turn away. Isaiah repeats that over and over again. In Romans, Paul mentions God's anger and its effect more than 50 times, beginning with the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. That's in Romans 1.18. John says that the wrath of God abides on whoever will not believe in the Son of God for mercy. Anger was, is, and will remain on their heads. That God is angry tells us something very important. Anger can be utterly right, good, appropriate, beautiful, the only fair response to something evil, and the loving response on the behalf of evil's victims. Now, God, of course, he says, is also the most loving person in the Bible. And the Son of God expresses the fullness of his love. We often fail to see that God's anger and love are entirely consistent with each other as different expressions of his goodness and glory. The two work together. Jesus burned with anger against the wrongs he met with in his journey throughout his, his human life here on earth as truly as he melted with pity at the sight of the world's misery. And it was out of these two emotions that his actual mercy proceeded. Ladies, you cannot understand God's love if you don't understand his anger. Because he loves, he's angry at what harms. Yet anger is by definition against things with an intent to destroy so how can God's wrath become something God's children love and trust, rather something they fear or dislike? In what way is God's anger an expression of how he is for us, rather than the expression of how he is against us? The good news is always presented in terms of how love and anger come to be resolved. God expresses his love for his people by each of the three ways he expresses his anger at wrong. Number one on your outlines. In love, the anger your sin deserves fell on Jesus. God's anger at sin was expressed, but for your well-being. Once and for all in the past, God set you free from ever experiencing his wrath against your sins. In steadfast love, he freely offered his innocent son to bear the wrath deserved by the guilty. God's anger punishes and destroys, giving our sin its due. But it was taken by Jesus, the beloved lamb, the savior of sinners, Ladies, this ought to make us cry out for joy. And it helps kind of bring that together, does it not? Of, oh, that's how. I knew he was wrathful and I knew it was good and right. And I knew he was loved, but this is how the two are working together. So not only the anger your sin deserves fell on Jesus, but number two, in love, God's anger works to disarm the power of your sin. So us killing that sin that John Owen was talking about is Holy Spirit empowered. We will not be successful if not but for God and God expressing anger to disarm that power of your sin. His anger at sin is again expressed for your well-being. In the present, he deals continually with indwelling sinfulness itself. The Holy Spirit who pours out God's love within you is a burning fire of anger against evil, not to destroy you, but to make you new. 
in steadfast love, he remakes us, not by tolerating our sin, but by hating our sin in a way that we learn to love. The process is not always pleasant, is it, ladies? Because suffering, reproof, guilt, and owning our sin doesn't always feel good. But deliverance, mercy, encouragement, a clearing conscience, do those feel good? For sure. God remakes us progressively into love, joy, peace, and wisdom in his own image. So because of the faithfulness and goodness of our God, he pours out within us that anger towards our own sin that is a righteous, zealous anger so that we can be cleansed, so that we can get rid of that sin, put it off. Um, In Kingdom Kids, we have what is it to repent, to be sorry for sin and to hate and forsake it because it's displeasing to God. Such a helpful way to think it through of, okay, I'm not just sorry for my sin. I need to hate and forsake it. Not because it makes me feel bad, I feel guilty, I hate the consequences of it. You know, I hate being angry because now I look like a bad person. Wrong motivation. I hate being angry because it's sinfully angry. Because that doesn't correctly reflect the character of my Savior. This is not the right way. And I don't want to confuse people around me by being that poor testimony. So the anger your sin deserves fell on Christ. God's anger works to disarm the power of your sin. But also number three, in love, God's anger will deliver you from the pain of other sin. God's anger will deliver you from the pain of other sin. His anger at sin will be expressed again for your well-being. In the future, he promises to end all suffering from other sinfulness. God hates the way people hurt other people. In steadfast love, he will deliver us from our enemies. On the last day, all causes of pain will be destroyed forever. At the same time, the Bible is clear that those who oppose God and hurt his people exist for a purpose. They are God's unwitting agents in the sanctification task. Does that not just help your whole viewpoint? Instead of having sinful anger, you're thinking, oh, you don't even know it, but God is using you for my good and his glory. Wow. Only God could do that. So they're his unwitting agents. They don't know that. But in that sanctification task that's happening, they act for their own sinful reasons, but also accomplish God's purposes for good as he tests and transforms us through suffering. So ladies, does that not give a new purpose within the pain of, okay, I don't need to respond to this because God is using it for my good, his glory, I don't need to defend myself. I don't need to let these feelings rise up within me. We'll talk through, okay, but what do we do with those strong emotions? But to righteously reflect my Savior, I need to have, fruit of the Spirit, self-control right now. That reflects my Savior. That reflects the Holy Spirit working within me to express myself correctly But ladies, that's how love and anger can work together. So moving on from those three, B, so how do I know that's how God's anger is totally righteous? But how do I know if my anger is righteous? I don't know about you, but my anger is probably one of the most deceitful things and the easiest that I am really good at self-justifying. Well, I was only angry because... Well, if he hadn't, then I wouldn't. And if he would just listen, then this would all be over with and he would realize I'm right anyways. 
right? Oh, so easy to just snap into it. So how do I know? Because sometimes we do need to stand up for right. We do need to express things. We do need to channel those strong emotions, but we need to make sure we're doing it in righteousness. John Owen, again, in Mortification of Sin says, let not man think he has any progress in holiness who does not walk over the bellies of his lusts. Let me read that again because I'm like, oh, John, wow. Let not man think he makes any progress in holiness who walks not over the bellies of his lusts. So you really have to clamp down like, oh, I thought that was so helpful. The chart I have here I got from Lou Priolo, which I think he got it from, David Pallison. So, but I think this chart, I put it in your notes. If you flip, flip over, it's right at the top. You know, we often justify our anger because we're right or we want right things. So how do I know? Is it unholy? Is it holy? Unholy anger is when I don't get what I want, even if what I want is a good thing. Holy anger is when God doesn't get what he wants. Unholy anger, I am the Lord of my life. Holy anger is Christ is the Lord of my life. This one gets me every time when I'm trying to like think rightly. Unholy angry, my will was violated. How dare you cross my will? Holy anger is more concerned about God's will is violated. And that one to me just clears it up a lot, ladies. When I'm struggling with, am, am, am I feeling, is what I'm feeling right? Am I responding right? The, okay, am I more upset because my will was violated or am I more upset that God's will has been violated? And a lot of times that one shuts my, shuts my mouth. Our motives, is my motive, my heart's idolatrous desire. You know it's idolatrous when you're sinning to get it. So it can even be a good desire, but that's how we know. We just made an idol because I just sinned to get what I want, or I sin because I'm not getting it. Or holy anger, your motive is God's glory. Unholy anger, who's the most important there? Big old me. I am God. Holy anger, God is God, and he is on his throne. So um, we're going to go through, again, David Paulison lays out some questions that I just thought were so very helpful because, again, we're working through a deceitful heart. We're trying to, like, motives of the heart, slice it through, use the word of God to, okay, what are my thoughts and intentions of my heart? need to have that separation. So number one, we're trying to think through, how do I know if my anger is righteous? Do you get angry about the right things? The right things, what do I mean there? David Pallison helps us clear it up. He says, anger addresses perceived wrong. So remember Webster, he said it was either perceived or actual injury. So did you, this is the biggest question of all, did you perceive rightly? How many times do you have something happen that you think you know and, mad that made you mad? Your husband says something, your friend says something, wounds the heart, and you are upset. And then after talking to him, you find out total miscommunication. I didn't even understand what he was actually saying because I didn't take the time to listen and hear what he had to say. And so I'm upset, and I'm seething inside, and yet I did not perceive correctly. This is the first great divide, David says. A person may become angry at things he has no business being angry about. People generate their own set of expectations, their own laws, their own criteria of good and bad, and react angrily when these laws are broken. Jonah is a classic case. We don't have time to look at it. I wish we did. But twice he's burning with anger, and twice God himself challenges him. Do you have good reason to be angry? God himself is asking Jonah this. He had perceived God's compassion on people as something he could get angry at. 
or two, the withering of the shade of a plant. And he got angry about it as a serious wrong. Is the withering of a plant wrong? I sure hope not because my plants wither all the time. (laughs) But yet he was angry because really at the core of that, what's going on there? Who's he actually angry at? God. Because God is in control, he is sovereign of every single thing, including a little worm that eats a shady plant. He's upset. When we get upset, like David said a little earlier, at bad weather, who really are we fighting and struggling and having strife with? The creator of the universe. We don't think of it that way. We just think, but Rach, it's just hot and humid, and we live in Tennessee, and I'm dripping sweat. Oi, right? And yet, even those low-level irritations is a very low-level form of anger. So we need to be carefully thinking through, do you get angry about the right things? Is it actual sin? Am I actually, you know, this strong emotion? Should I even be? Am I perceiving things around me correctly? Am I thinking biblically of the things around me? Number two, do you express your anger in the right way? So you might even have this strong emotion because God's will is violated, but then you go to express it and you tank. You just go downhill. It's possible to see the, the wrong in another's life accurately and yet to express anger in a simple way. So this is Jesus' parable about the log and the speck. It turns on this issue. Righteously aroused anger, so we pass test number one. It's, it's a right thing to get upset about. It's often the hardest to get a grip on at this point. The thing that happened out there seems so wrong that I go blind to the wrong that's right here. The sins of self-righteousness are notably self-deceiving. The clearest gauge of whether anger is right or wrong in its expression is whether it acts to condemn or offers to help. Here is that second step, y'all. As I am saying something, as I am moving forward to action because of this strong emotion within me, am I accusing, am I condemning, or am I offering help? Very, very good to help assess our own heart. Proverbs 15, 18 says, A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but the slow to anger calms a dispute. So there, we are offering help. Are we throwing gasoline on the fire or are we throwing cool water on the fire? Number three, how long does your anger last? How long does your anger last? I'm sure Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 is popping right in the brain. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun Go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. That word opportunity there means foothold. Just don't even let him get a foot in the door. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Do not hold that grudge. Jerry talked about that in our weeds of anger, right? That resentment, that bitterness. Lou Priolo says the root of bitterness always comes from the seed of hurt. And we get hurt and we keep it in our heart and instead of stripping it away and forgiving covering with the love that we should have for each other we sit there and we we cultivate that hurt and we kind of shelter it in there and we stir it around and we mull on it and we think on it and then before we know it it can take minutes that root of bitterness is taken hold and it gets stronger and deeper and you have to uproot it and uproot it and uproot it do not let your anger last long. So it's good to ask ourselves, how long does my anger last? And ladies, it's good even to think of, okay, the last few times you got angry, how long did it last? Was it minutes? Was it days? We have some that are years, almost a lifetime. Good to stop and think, am I harboring anger? Am I harboring bitterness that grows from that anger? Number four, How controlled is your anger? 
How controlled is your anger? Proverbs 16.32, he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who captures a city. So godly anger is emotion controlled by a purpose imposed on us by the Lord God. It's consistent with those fruits of the spirit termed self-control, gentleness, and patience. Ungodly anger is emotion controlled by the impulses of our own hearts and runs out of control, harsh, easily provoked. Jay Adams puts it well. Anger is the emotion that has been given by God to attack problems. The energies of anger must be proactively released under control toward a problem. Anger must be directed towards destroying the problem, not toward destroying the person. I love this. Anger, like a good horse, must be bridled. So that self-control of, okay, what is the purpose of this? We have a problem. We have to be self-controlled so that we can channel that energy, not towards attacking the person that we're having the conflict with, but toward the problem that's existing between us. So that energy is honed in and focused in on that. Number six is your, I'm sorry, number five. What motivates your anger? What motivates your anger? The simplest question to ask about what underlies anger is, what do I really want? Again, that unholy anger. Is it my will that's been violating? You know, I'm not getting what I want. What do I really want? Sometimes it's good to just stop and be like, babe, can we come back to this conversation? I really need a couple minutes to pray because I'm not sure I'm going to communicate well right now. Would you mind if we took a break? And then go in the other room and and start crying to the Lord and saying, Lord, what is my heart really wanting right now? Because I'm angry and this is not okay. So the Holy Spirit is so kind. He will reveal to you what is going on. So have confidence in that, that the Holy Spirit, even to me, you know, as thick-headed and thick-skulled as I can be, the Holy Spirit is all-powerful, so he is capable to reveal the, the thoughts and the motivations of my heart. So if you're honest, with God's help, you can recognize if you really crave. Am I craving to get even? Am I craving to hurt someone? They hurt me, so I'm going to just throw that little verbal dagger back. Or am I angry because I'm being inconvenienced? Or to prove someone wrong? or to score points on my own personal scoreboard, or to be recognized and appreciated, or am I trying to humiliate somebody else so that I can be elevated, or I just want to win. I just want to get my way. You are ruled by what the Bible terms self, and with God's help, you can recognize if you really want the Lord of life to be honored in word, deed, attitude, and intention. All right, so what motivates your desire? Number six, is your anger primed and ready to respond to another person's habitual sins? Well, this one's a tough one, right, ladies? How many times do I have to tell you not to put that on the floor? How many times do I have to remind you just the sink is right there? Can you cup, sink, right there? Not here, here, right? How many times do I have to tell you? Doesn't matter, kids. Proverbs 12, 16 says, A fool's anger is known at once, but a prudent man conceals dishonor. And two, let's go ahead and turn together to this one. Proverbs 14, 29. Proverbs 14, 29. He who is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who is quick-tempered exalts folly. So grace breaks the cycle of provocation and reaction so characteristic of life in a sinful world. 
So is it not common out there? You cut a person off and they get angry. Even if I'm, I'm, I'm sure that if it was one of us, we did it on accident. We just didn't see them and we accidentally cut them off. But what's, what is the natural reaction of man? How dare you infringe on my rights? Sins, including sinful anger, are usually repetitive. But godly anger starts fresh because it keeps no record of wrongs. It keeps looking for how God is at work in the other person and in the situation just as he is at work in me. What a drastic different change of how you are looking. So, ladies, do you have that low-level anger just right there, ready to roll, ready to go, ready to catch somebody doing wrong? Or do you have grace? Mercy, heart of compassion. Number seven, what is the effect of your anger? What is the effect of your anger? Sinful anger, just like our chapter said, those weeds of anger. Sinful anger just creates more problems. It complicates matters. It hurts people, puts them on the defensive. The way you come across tempts them to duck or to retaliate. And I thought that was just a really good, when you're speaking at somebody, are they kind of ducking? Or are they stiffening their neck and retaliating? How are you coming across when you're speaking? Ephesians 4.29, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those that hear. So ladies, as we're asking ourselves those those questions, we also need to, to think through number three on your outlines. What is a biblical response to my sinful anger? And this is where we're gonna land just for a moment. If you'll turn in your scriptures to Psalm 37, Psalm 37, we're just going to, for sake of time, there's so much goodness here, but just for sake of time, we're going to read 7 and 8. Psalm 37, I'm going to start in verse 7. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Cease from anger and forsake wrath, do not fret. It leads only to evil doing. Now, many Psalms show that odd yet honest combination of knowing that I deserve the wrath of God while uncovering my need for mercy and change, and yet knowing I don't deserve the unfair hostility of men who happen to be God's instruments. Like Later on in Psalm 38, God's anger at my sins, painfully felt, eventually reproduces repentance, hope, and faith, an outcry against those who brought the pain. In Psalm 39, wrestling with my anger at the evil around me eventually leads to hope for deliverance from my own evil and the evil around me. In Psalm 40, God's steadfast love and anger again delivers me both from my own sins and from those who hurt me. So here in Psalm 37, we see the temptation of the righteous to look with envy at the relative life of ease that the wicked seem to have, but instead look to the Lord and trust when life seems to be unfair. So A, we need three keys to unlock the trap of sinful anger. Three keys. Number one, humility. Humility. Our scripture says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. So ladies, God is in control and we are not. Jerry said in our, in our chapter, I suspect that much of our anger is not a result of significant in, injustices or wrongs against us, but it's the manifestation of our own pride and selfishness. He also said many Christians live in denial about their anger. The consciously experience, they consciously experience the flare-up of negative thoughts and emotions towards someone who has displeased them. 
But they don't identify this as anger, especially not as sinful anger. They focus on the other person's wrongdoing and justify their own reaction. Now, Lou Priolo had something that I thought was very helpful as we think through this in a very practical, daily manner. Okay, I've got sinful anger. We're going through the day. What do I do? So listen to how he said is helpful to resolve these things. He said, when my wife and I are having a conflict, we try to express our differing opinions to each other in the hope that one of us will persuade the other of his or her point of view. So we banter back and forth for 5, 10, 20 minutes until I persuade her or she persuades me or we meet somewhere in the middle or we both conclude it's okay to disagree. Back and forth we go, trying with each other to exchange words, to reach an agreement with each other with a minimal amount of sin or unbiblical communication. The moment one of us becomes sinfully angry, the conflict comes to a halt. The communication circuit is broken and no further progress is made. Typically, the angry person exits the conflict prematurely or his opponent exits the conflict in fear. The conflict is aborted in midstream without biblical resolution. It has been said that anger is an emotion God gives to us for the purpose of destroying or at least attacking something. When we clam up in anger, we hurt the person at whom we are mad, and we end up hurting, destroying, attacking ourselves in the progress because we're holding it all in. If we blow up, we destroy and attack the person at whom we blow up. Rather than using these unbiblical approaches, God wants us to destroy or attack the problem by releasing our anger under the Spirit's control. Since most of our problems have to do with people, one action is almost always necessary to solve the issue. Ask What is it that we usually have to do in order to get the anger from our hearts directed towards destroying a problem that involves someone else? In other words, how do we attack the problem without attacking the person? Communication is necessary in order to get the problem solved. If we want to learn how to communicate and resolve conflicts effectively, we must learn to control our anger. So do you see what he's saying? You're talking back and forth. You have two differing opinions going on, and then all of a sudden, one person gets angry, and it just lock jams the whole thing. You have to have biblical communication. If you need further teaching on this, and you came to ladies' conference, there's a lovely booklet called Communication and Conflict Resolution by Stuart Scott. Get it out. Highlight it. Drink it in. He has wonderful things. But I did, Lou Briolo had a list that I thought would be helpful. No blanks here because we need to keep moving. But he says, train yourself to ask the following questions. And we have to have an awareness, ladies. What are we going to try to do? Protect self. Justify self. So ask yourself these things, praying that the Holy Spirit would reveal to you the honest answers. Has the other person really sinned against me? Am I lusting after an idolatrous desire in my life, meaning I want my desire more than God's glory? Do I have all the facts, or am I jumping to hasty conclusions? Is my heart magnifying a tolerable trial? Is it magnifying it to a level of intolerable? I just can't handle this anymore. Really? You have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, who again is all powerful. And if God has brought this into your life, can you deal with it anymore? You can. What scripture passages should guide my thoughts and words in this matter? How can I respond in a way that will attack the problem and glorify God? So, When we respond to these things in humility, that humility will then in turn prime your heart to, number two, trust 
in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Look back down at verse 7. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. That word rest there means to be still in opposition to both speech and motion. So this is a silent yielding and submission. Look just a little bit farther up in the Psalms. We're very familiar with these verses. Verse 3 says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he will do it. Once we humble our hearts and we look to the Lord, that is so prepping our heart to trust. Okay, Lord, I don't know why, but I know you are good. So I know you mean this situation for my good. I don't have to get sinfully angry because you are for me. And that in turn, ladies, will number three, help us bear with patience. Help us with our patience. Again, it's, there it says, wait patiently for him. That waiting is with a longing. And then in the next verse, B on your outlines, we see three commands regarding anger. Three commands regarding anger. Number one, it says, cease from anger. Cease from anger. Cease means to let one alone. It's almost like just leave it alone. Just leave it alone. Spurgeon said, a silent tongue in many cases not only shows a wise head, but a holy heart. So if we're, if we're really just desiring to get that word in edgewise, just remember, I need to wait on the Lord. And again, a lot of times we can self-justify. Well, it's just, this isn't right. We need to remember James 1.20, the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Number two on your outlines, forsake wrath. Forsake there actually means to leave unexercised. I found that fascinating. Underneath that Hebrew word, it means leave it unexercised. Wrath there is that burning anger or rage of man. Proverbs 29.8 says, Scorners set a city of flame, but wise men turn away anger. So ladies, as we're looking at different problems, we need to make sure, is my anger, is it towards the problem or is it towards the purpose, person? Am I thinking about this in a biblical way? Am I thinking about this the way God thinks about it? And then number three, I love this, do not fret. Now, this is the second time in these two verses that the psalmist is saying, do not fret. That word fret there. I thought was going to mean like worry, anxiety, gripping of the hands. It actually means to heat oneself in vexation. So that fretfulness is more of uh, you're getting hot under the collar. You're just working yourself up because you are upset about what's going on. Spurgeon again said, determine, let the wicked succeed as they may, that you will treat the matter with indifference and never allow a question to be raised as to the righteousness and goodness of the Lord. What if wicked devices succeed and your own plans are defeated? There is more of the love of God in your defeats than in the successes of the wicked. Do you hear what he's saying there? Because a lot of times we're rising up. I need to stand for my rights. And yet, sometimes more godliness can be won by letting go of your rights, by not demanding your own way, by shaping and molding our thought patterns according to how Christ is. And let me just leave you with this old hymn. It says, Thy way, not mine, O Lord, however dark it may be, Oh, lead me by thine own right hand. Choose out the path for me. Smooth let it be or rough. It will still be the best. 
winding or straight, it matters not. It leads me to thy rest. I dare not choose my lot. I would not if I might. But choose thou for me, O my God, so shall I walk aright. Take thou my cup, and it with joy or sorrow fill. As ever best to thee may seem, choose thou my good and ill. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just praise you, Lord, for these things. And Lord, as we try to search our own hearts, as we work through our daily uprising of emotions, Lord, help us to be self-controlled. Help us not to respond to life in anger. Help us not to be frustrated at the different circumstances of life, but help us to think biblically that you are good and faithful and you bring different circumstances for our growth, for our trust. Lord, help us to rest in you. Help us to be humble under your mighty hand. Lord, help us to be women pleasing in your sight, patient to those around us so that we can bring glory to your name. Help us to let go of anger that we might be holding. Help us to repent of it, forsake it, turn away. Lord, help us to go to those we need to go to to ask forgiveness for our anger towards them. Lord, might we be women changed because of your word. It's in Christ's name we ask all these things. Amen.